Today's date is the 15th of November 2011. Thank you. And the talk is on the fourth ray purpose. This particular ray is of specific importance to humanity. It's of course from Institute of Psychology, page 71. And we're continuing with the interpretation of of the keynotes of the ray as he's given them. I normally, as you can see, do numbers and I work out the keynotes from numbers. That's the way it actually teaches me what it's all about. The fourth ray is quite important for humanity because it's the middle of the rays. It's that which reflects purpose into manifestation. DK calls it harmony through conflict. I call it beautifying harmony overcoming conflict or to produce ordered purpose. Now, this particular ray is the ray that governs all of humanity. Therefore, it's never out of incarnation. It's always manifest in one way or the other. It's also the ray that governs our planetary system, the fourth ray, our solar system. It's being of the fourth order. It's a, it's a middle-order sun. It's the golden energy that's normally associated with the sun and which you bring into your consciousness via your meditation. Generally it's seen as the energy of the heart itself. And of course, when you think of gold as the most precious of all metals and you compare it to silver, which is lunar, then you get an idea of what humanity also thinks of this ray. The most precious of the metals is incorruptible and the whole acids won't touch it and it'll last virtually forever untarnished unlike many of the other metals like silver which goes black over time. And it's the same with your heart. It remains untarnished. We know that the heart itself has five petals. That can be influenced by darkness but the other seven are sacred petals and convey the pure energies of the rays it's somewhat difficult to understand because it is the middle between the seven the fourth the point of emergence of form and the point of disintegration of form Buddhism is also ruled by this ray, the fourth ray, the Buddha being an initiate incarnate in this ray. Buddhism, therefore, is a, a good example of the nature of the fourth ray in application and the fundamental teaching of Buddhism is shunyata, the void. And when you think of shunyata, then you can think of the fourth ray. And this gives you an idea of how difficult it actually is to understand it, the middle between extremes. So the other rays come in and out of manifestation according to cyclic purpose. And there's times when the fourth ray is quite exemplified. For instance, we can probably look at the time of the Renaissance when we had that great creative outburst as a time of exemplification of the fourth ray. It was also the time when science itself had its proper genesis in our modern era. The 
14 statements here, and this time there is 14, go on the usual way as per most of the rays. The third ray was quite different. It had 18 statements and it took a bit of time to explain them. So the first seven of these statements relate to the nature of the way the ray emanates from the planes of causation associated with deity itself. And the last seven statements relate to the development of enlightenment. So one is the sent into form, and then the other seven is the ascent from formed realms into abstract space. But you can see quite clearly, if you think of the fourth ray, that there's no real coming or going. It stays where it is. Everything goes through it comes to it. Now, there are seven statements when we are looking at the descent. Of course, it can be seen in terms of the seven sub-rays of the fourth ray, as well as the descent through the seven planes of perception until we get to the physical plane on number seven and the plane eddy with number one, or the first statement. Now, the highest of the qualities of the fourth ray, or what you might call the first sub-ray of the fourth ray, and on the highest plane, which is at the first sub-plane of the cosmic dense physical. And DK gives it the perceiver of the way. And the way here is of obviously cosmic journey, the cosmic paths. Which of the cosmic path does an adept, does a master of wisdom choose to travel upon when he's ready to leave or she's ready to leave this planet, having mastered or gained all that this planet can offer? This planet, as I said before, being also ruled by this ray, or this earth scheme is ruled by the ray, being the fourth scheme of a system of seven, or seven other planetary logi that are associated with the manifestation of human life. There are ten in the system, but seven specifically concerned with the evolution of humanity. Not just this humanity, but the seven other streams of human lives that manifest over the entire course of a solar evolution two from the last solar system and five indigenous to this one. We are presently the fourth of the indigenous humanities, or the earth chain humanities, what we call this, the fourth. Therefore, the sixth out of the whole seven. There's one more human kingdom to come, which will evolve out of the present animal kingdom, plus those that fail in this present evolutionary scheme will then manifest then. The new globe that is forming will harbour that life. And so also this present humanity that causes us so much woe because most of you come from an earlier human evolutionary period. It happened on the moon when the moon itself had life such as we now have. And some of you come from an even earlier cycles still struggling with humanity to gain full liberation. 
there's all sorts of stragglers from other human kingdoms, from other planetary systems, planetary evolutions on this earth, all working together. Therefore, the component members of the White Brotherhood and Dark Brotherhood are generally of these individuals. The Dark Brotherhood hang on to forms of evil, forces of degeneration and pain and suffering and all the other things that they cause, and the White Brotherhood are busy working towards planetary liberation. You can see that the fourth kingdom in nature, which we call humanity, is also governed, therefore, as I said earlier, by the fourth ray, because the first kingdom we call the mineral kingdom, the second is the plant, the third is the animal, the fourth is humanity, and the fifth is the kingdom of enlightened being. And it's composed of both human and diva units. Human and diva units are evolving right through all of these kingdoms. It's difficult to think of it at this stage for you that we humans actually pre-existed before the evolution of a mineral kingdom. The human kingdom comes down into incarnation slowly through the plane's perception as the evolutionary process goes upwards through the mineral plant animal going through the the trials and tribulations sometimes associated with Darwinian concepts of survival of the fittest to produce a form that can bear consciousness. And eventually at a certain time the two, the descending arc of the life force of the human spirit merges with the animal consciousness is spiraling upwards and a soul is formed on the higher or abstract levels of the mind. So all of this process, in a sense, is governed by the fourth ray. It's quite an interesting ray, therefore, is it not? On the monadic levels, there's only three main rays, the first, second and third. The fourth ray is only seen as a sub-ray. And in the samsara, as it's called, we have the three rays of the periodical vehicles, the fifth, sixth and seventh. So this fourth ray is that which acts as a mirror that reflects the abstract three into the formed three. This phrase, the perceiver of the way, the numbers actually add to one, one, one which anyone that knows esoteric technology simply says antikrana, uh, a vast scale, ant- antikrana is consciousness linked, vast scale, and the intermediate scale, and then that to do with form itself. The ability to build bridges. Therefore what we've got here is the bridge builder, the rainbow bridge. And you build the bridge via the fourth ray methodology, harmony through conflict. You project upwards into the zones of space beyond your present consciousness, present state of awareness. So on the park of descent, Logos projects the Antikrana downwards into form space to manifest the mandala of whatever is to be. And on the path of ascent, we project the Antikrona upwards towards the domain of divinity. 
And so the first sub-ray, the first ray aspect of the fourth ray is this bridge building beyond where you presently are. Actually, if you can understand the concept of spanning a bridge between the two bits of land and between there's a gap of consciousness, there's a missing something. And you actually have to see the other side or visualise what the other side is and which, so that you can build a bridge. The bridge can be quite large. For instance, you can go right across a bay, hopping over little islands or whatever. can span a bridge over two mountains if you want to or normally over water. But you see the, the problem. There's one bank and another bank and an impassable gap normally in between that you have to somehow cross. Some of the engineers of the last century had some really ingenious ways of building these bridges so that rail lines could go across quite large chasms, quite large gaps. Think about the ingenuity of that. First of all, you have to get a line on the other side and then bring it back and then you have to weave things to it and then make another line, another line, until eventually it's all done. And you do the same in consciousness, in your meditation life. At first you start quite ignorant, because you don't know what's on the other side of your present state of awareness. You actually are taught methodology, you're given images, wherewith you can build, for instance, <coughs> Most of you only have a vague idea what Shambhala is. And to actually build a bridge to Shambhala would give you the methodology in meditation, in our teachings. And the links are built as you actually develop the ability to withstand the downpour of energy that will come as a consequence of such contact. So it's not just a matter of getting there in the bridge building. But you must be ready for the consequences of having built that bridge. You know, you can, for instance, imagine an island full of scorpions and if you build a bridge to that, suddenly you get attacked by an onrushing horde of these quite deadly creatures. So you've got to actually be aware and have some knowledge of bridge building. And this entire science of yoga, which has been quite developed uh, to a very high specialised skill in Buddhism specifically, and the Hindus started it, of bridge building to enlightenment, to shunyata and then beyond. And all the philosophy associated with Buddhism concerns this. So you can see there's an enormous corpus of material for all of you prospective bridge builders but building the bridge to your higher self which of course is your higher mind and there's a consciousness gap between the concrete mind your intellects and the abstract mind which has to be built and then between the soul so the abstract mind is where the soul resides and the monad is another gap a consciousness gap so to speak to be built there's a gap between this form space of our 
Earth's system, cosmic density, and then the astral that also has to be built. So you can see in every case, there's literally a gap of consciousness, a, a space, a zone of, of nothingness, of which the bridge must be built. And you must learn the technique of seeing what's on the other side, whatever is out there. It reminds me of that film E.T. Go Home where he's pointing to some spot out there in a star that is his home and we do the same. Somehow, something must be built with all the materials that are on the physical plane in order to get to that star up there. And the fourth ray offers you the mechanism. Harmony in the midst of conflict. A beautifying harmony. Overcoming strife. Overcoming difficulties or troubles, problems. So this whole yogic path is the methodology of this bridge building of overcoming problems so that you can be liberated from samsara, from this formed life, from the life of transience and of misery and unhappiness and pain and suffering and all your other joys that sort of come with, temporary joys that come with whatever little victories you have in life. But then it's back to all of that. There's a number of ways of looking at the seven rays. One is in relationship to the, the rays 147. The other one is 133. The other way is 313. The other way is 25. And the other way, of course, is 72. Um, and then 17. But this 147 is one of the major ways of looking at, at the fourth ray. So the fourth ray is, is along the first ray line the first ray working through the fourth ray to produce the seventh ray purpose. So it's a conduit for first ray energy so that the seventh ray, the seven rays of the rainbow bridge can be developed, can be expressed. Or to look at it conversely, the way of merging the seven rays into one. So both ways, bridge building. So that's the task of the first subray of the fourth ray. How to bridge the gap. How to merge the rays. Or how to develop the first ray into the seventh. Abstract, a little bit, but it's quite accurate. And especially if you stand on the highest subplane of the cosmic dense physical eddy and you're looking outwards into cosmic space at all of those stellar spheres or all of the logoic domains and you're choosing which of those cosmic paths you are to travel. As a Buddha, this is done through the fourth ray. So the second sub-ray of the fourth ray or step two of the descent process of the mandala of the Logos, the K gives as the link between the three and the three. And here, of course, you can see that it's the three-one-three way of looking at the rays that the K is giving us here. The link between the three and the three. Now, the three, you think of the first or highest three rays, and the other three, the lowest three, is the rays of concretion of the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh. And therefore, it's a link that interrelates the two. Again, this concept of bridge building, but it doesn't move from its domain. It's not moving into cosmic space. It's not moving into form space. It stays where it is, and the energies pass 
from one to the other. It has the mechanism within it to hold or contain the sum total of both streams. What I call in my book the nexus between samsara and shunyata. And this is the whole purpose of enlightenment, to stand at that nexus, where both samsara and nirvana are seen as one, not dual, not two, one. And that's the reality of manifest life, of manifestation, of cosmic purpose. Can you stand at all times, residing in samsara as we all are, and never for a moment letting go of the enlightened mind? But you can see the nature of, of the training, the nature of the development that all of you are undergoing. And the Buddhist tanka art shows you many depictions of what they call the yayum, where that particular union between samsara, which is the consort, and nirvana, which is the deity, the Buddha, the male deity, the way that they are fused is that union, and it produces the highest bliss. The bliss, of course, is not the sexual bliss that you think of, but the bliss in the highest realm of consciousness, the most abstract realm, produces great revelation. So this the second sub-ray of the fourth ray is the link between the three and the three. And this is the bearer of the Christ principle, the, the principle of love. Yes, I've got here that links humanity to humanity, uh, septenary to septenary, but by that I mean cosmic humanity to earth humanity. So there's a, a point of linking between the beings that have long ago mastered evolutionary space, such as the Buddha, the now solid lords and planetary lords, Logi, and all those great beings that have evolved through solar systems long before our solar system was, and evolved through the earlier planetary schemes. Now, they are linked to you here by means of this second sub-ray of the fourth ray. It works with your monadic <coughs> self, or via monadic self. Now, the third sub-ray is called the divine intermediary. Whenever you look at the third ray, then we bring in the concept of the Deva kingdom as well, as that which is material, the concept of substance. The concept here is the mountain of karma. We're looking now at the ethric subplane, the fourth ether of the seven subplanes where there's four ethers and the dense physical or the domain of the mind. And the divine intermediary is that fourth subplane substance whereby divinity manifests and through the medium of the Deva kingdom. It allows the appropriation of karma when you go into the domain of mind, or the elimination of karma as you go into the point of ascent. The other way of looking at the divine intermediary is literally the substance of the heart center itself. 
and the methodology of its perfection. And in cosmos, as far as we're concerned, looking upwards is actually a form of the solar plexus centre. The fourth sub-ray, as we on this path of descent, is called the hand of God. Well, now this is a beautiful one. A hand contains five fingers and it also contains a chakra on it. So there's five different pranas that are descending through the fourth ether. Cosmically, this fourth ether is called buddhi and in the Buddhist terminology they also call it shunyata, the void. So there's five types of pranas and these pranas are the qualities of the wisdoms of the Buddhas of meditation and they descend down through five fingers of expression. It's quite important in my eye concept I also talk in terms of the five void elements. I point out that Shunyata is not empty. It actually contains the essence of the five types of pranas. They void elements. They are the five elements: air, water, earth, fire, and ether. Right, but they the void of the characteristics of mind. They in layer uh, layers uh, a point of future projection. They they seed forms of what is to be, bijas, the bijas of the elements, and so the fourth ether, this void, actually has these void elements, and any being, any deity that wants to create a world sphere such as what we have, must activate those void elements and thus precipitate karma that's stored in them. So, if you think of the hand of God, and now if you look at your own hand, you see that there's a middle finger, and that middle finger extends a little bit further than all the others. And that middle finger is the earthy element that actually extends, in this particular case, all the way to the mental plane. That, from our perspective, is cosmic, dense, physical substance. It is as dense and corporeal to the logi that have travelled in, in past soul evolutions as this dense physical substance is to us. As a matter of fact, this is reject mind that we are walking on. So I will explain this in my book on the secret doctrine, just how physical substance comes into being and how it is reject mind. And it's a wonderful concept because you look at the all the various aspects of the mineral kingdom from, from the, the beautiful crystals that some of which we have around to the, all the different ores and then the granites and the, 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 the composites that don't look very nice earth and so there's many different sort of aspects of mine and you can look at the colourings and the qualities of what we live on the crust of the earth, some of it is black, some of it is grey, some of it is beautiful colourings, a little bit of it is gold and ores, some of it is, as I said, crystals, as the concretized mind of a former mental domain of a kingdom that have evolved long past this now. They're now logi, and this is their crystallised laminate of what they had evolved in their minds, 
everything is mind ultimately. So the hand of God, and you're touched by this middle earthy finger of God. That's what touches your consciousness. And then withdraws once it's produced some sort of effect because you can only handle a tiny little impress of this cosmic energy. If it was too long, then your brains would explode and you would go into incredible emotional fury because you just couldn't handle the intensity of what's coming through. So in my present book, The Way to Shambhala, I actually showed us some downward-pointing hand of God in terms of the five archangels, Raphael, Samuel, Gabriel, Ezekiel, Uriel. So I point out and explain this downward projection. You're welcome to read that. So if you can have a concept of fingers and what your fingers really represent, it's it's the downward projection of the five pranas from the domain of divinity in terms of the five wisdoms and the inherent five elements via the buddhic plane. The fifth subplane, or the fifth subray, is called the hidden one. And this is the hidden deity in samsara. And why is it hidden? Well, it's something like this energy that comes onto the mental plane veils itself in the form of the soul. The soul is the hidden life behind each one of you. You are aware of your soul, but mostly you're focused upon your own personal selves. You mistake these forms in which we are residing as the real, as somehow meaningful, when all of this is an information gatherer and a mechanism of cleansing karma, and so that the soul itself can evolve. And so it raises one and then another and then another of you into space. I call of a human unit more in terms of the Buddhist concept of consciousness stream, a stream of consciousness. Because when you really look at the way you're evolving over time, forget your forms because that you can let go any time you want. It's called death or sleep. There it is, prone on a physical plane, on in a bed or whatever, doing absolutely nothing, maybe snoring. But it's unconscious, but your consciousness stream, it's conscious, it's functioning, it's active. So every time you make a thought, every time you move your mind and consciousness, and when seen over time, it's a stream of mind. Think about that, what you really are. And what is it that encapsulates that stream of mind into little quantas of experiences the soul itself? working with your concrete minds when you're awake. So, when we look at humanity from a higher perspective than what you're used to from, say, the atomic plane, what we see is lots of rivers and rivulets of life, of minds. Combine them and it gives you a world picture. And sometimes it can be quite fiery, but other times it's not so. So, the hidden one. It's the monad, and the way the monad encapsulates itself in form on the higher domains of mind that the fourth rate also governs. So if you think of your souls, the overall 
quality is imbued by the substance of the fire of mind and fanned by the air of woody. But that which is encapsulated in it is governed by this fourth ray, the hidden one, the hidden deity in samsara, within the domain of mind. The sixth sub-ray of the fourth ray as we descend is called the seed, comma, that is the flower. And this is quite an interesting little concept. Now the seed in, in our Sanskrit terminology is called bija and it can also be seen as an atom. And within that, everything that is to be already is. It's a mandala that's drawn that contains all future potentiality. still has to unfold, but the whole picture of what is to be has already been drawn. And this picture is drawn on the buddhic domain. And here we have this momentum from past to future. This driving energy, which is the sixth sub-ray of the fourth ray. It works out through the Nadi system to awaken all the chakras in order to sequence according to the prearranged plan. It's something like once the sperm is put in the womb and that is of course co-joined with the egg, what happens? The womb, everything from then onwards is prearranged. The child is going to come out. I mean, it's very rare that it doesn't. That whole sequence is already there in situ. And everything else then will take care of itself. The seed that is the flower. And this is again the form-building attribute of the fourth ray. It produces the perfected form. The beauty in the midst of the strife of samsara. Your forms, the child. So this is the type of artistic quality of fourth ray disciples. Now the last of the sub-rays on the path of descent, therefore governing the physical plane per se, or samsara, is the mountain whereon form dies. Here again we can see that the energy of the fourth ray doesn't get any further, really, than the higher mental plane. It's the ephric body. It's that fourth subplane out of the seven that the fourth ray resides in. So, to get to the pure attribute or aspect of the fourth ray, the form, such as you understand it, the form of your mind, dies. You get to the void to the abstract mind. This place, as I mentioned before, between shunyata and samsara, the nexus. That's the place where form dies. Or the form of liberated life enters into the zone of death. It's interesting for all of you. you most of you think of being in a physical body, being alive. And when you die, when you leave your physical body, that is death. But for the spirit aspect... For the soul, incarnating into a form such as your physical body is death. Liberation is when you no longer need to incarnate. 
that is life. It is the opposite to the way you think. There's no such thing as death. There's only entrance into domains of bondage, such as, for instance, stupid thoughts, emotional, mental thoughts, that bond you to concepts and ideas and idealisms, which you attach to. That is death. Whatever you attach to to do with form, that is death. Why perpetuate it longer than it needs? It may have a purpose. Find a purpose, move on. Don't go over and over and over and over again in the cycle of death, in cycles of samsaric wandering. Why perpetuate this internal misery? And I see so many people regurgitate thoughts that don't have any basis in reality except that they their own hallucinogenic, self-emasculating concepts, they seem to get off on giving themselves pain and suffering. Somehow this gives them joy. But from my point of view, it's best to let go of those thoughts. Don't be attached to them. If it gives you pain and suffering, if it gives you concept of um, this world is reality and everything you're thinking somehow is real, get over it. Because what is real is the divinity that's manifesting in you that's going to destroy the form, the very mind space that you know of. You all know you're going to have to die sometime. And as St. Paul says, I die daily. Every day you're dying to something and you're born to something new. And make sure that what you're born to, new, is more progressively in alignment with divinity, with light, with life, with the essence of whatever is and can be manifesting through you, which means eventually you no longer need to incarnate. Do you need many more lives of suffering and hell that you create for yourself by identification with samsara and thinking that that's real? And so the the mountain wherein form dies, this energy of the fourth ray causes disattachment, disaffection with form. The conflict is everything to do with your samsaric life. The harmony is that which comes into your samsaric life to destroy your attachments, give you greater and greater resonance in the domain of pure spirit domain of bliss and joy into the domain of the sun itself into the heart's essence into the beauty of whatever really is think of a radiant sun and think of yourself immersed in that with your consciousness and bathing in that glorious radiance of all the energy sending out its light body to the rest of the universe that is you when you overcome this this harmonious aspect of your attachments to forms, to things, to samsara. That is what a human unit really is. Cosmic consciousness. So this seventh sub-ray is the mountain where on form dies. You climb that mountain on the path of initiation and you die to form. You die to all sorts of form concepts. We can go to Asiatic philosophy or we can go to higher Buddhist tantra tantric philosophy to get the same teachings and so the yogis what do they do they went off into mountains high up into the mountains and did a lot of austerities they often sat in one 
piece of cloth on them and uh, ate almost nothing and sat month after month after month, often in freezing cold weather around them, meditating on what it is when form dies, that achievement. We have to do it while we're here in samsara, while we're living in these Western bodies and this Western materialism. It's much harder. can still be achieved. This is what hierarchy says. <laughs> we're trying to prove it. So, from every point of view, you can again see it's the Frick body. It's the body of energies that the fourth ray embodies, qualifies. We've now gone down to the seventh level of the fourth ray and we've seen we've never really gotten past the middle that nexus between samsara and shunyata once we're at the middle then we can start again from the seventh sub-ray going up isn't it interesting to see that there's nowhere to go no thinking really to achieve this is Zen Buddhism <laughs> you are what you have always been and always will be you just have to get rid of the dross of your mind to get there. Eliminate it, shovel it out, stop it. Cleanse it, transform it. Don't get attached. Be happy. Yes, it's so hard, I know. <laughs> the mind is so addictive. And when it's attached to your emotions, boy, is that a real drain on your energy, on your vitality. But that really glue you to all of this substance of samsara wets you to it all and you drag this whole kit and caboodle of, of whatever it's dissolved in it with you, wherever you go and your sack gets bigger and bigger <laughs> sometimes I see it like a baggage train a cart a Attached to another cart, attached to another cart, attached to another cart with all sorts of garbage on it that some poor person is trying to drag up a hill. <laughs> oh, no. And all they have to do is let go. And they won't. They're so dogged, are they, to get up that mountain with all of that. And every time they see something on the road, they pick it up and show it. <laughs> so that's people's lives, is it not? So much woe, so much misery. They're pulling us up and they somehow think they're happy. And then I look behind them and they get miserable. And then they look up the mountain and they're happy again and they look behind them. <sighs> Let it go. Of course, I'm also describing the baggage train of your karma. Most of the stuff you've got behind you that you drag along your life is what you've added to the carts attached to carts in past lives and in this life you're going to say oh, I don't want this, I don't need that, I don't need that and you're figuring out how to disattach how to let go isn't it wonderful to know there's really nowhere to go you're really there all you have to do is let go of all these things and of course we can't actually be a bridge builder if we don't aspire to build a bridge you've got to do that and that means developing the will and so the fourth ray gives you the mechanism to build the bridges, to develop the will. And the seventh sub-ray of the fourth ray, as we go up, as we ascend up this mountain, is called the light within the light. What light are we talking about and what light is within the light? Well, first of all, you have to understand that each of you are luminaries. 
You do have minds. I know you'll have minds. I've, I've received the, the, the results of I've been able to deduce that you can think and talk and deduce things as to what to do with your lives. And sometimes I've been attacked by your minds. And every mind is a radiatory body, is it not? It's got a form of light. It can be quite dull and dense and some, swirling around, but there's light there. And um, for some others it can be quite luminous, bright, radiant. So within those minds that is luminous, for most of you here, all of you I'm sure, I'll, I'll, I'll eat my words, everyone here is a radiant sun. There's never any darkness there. But from the point of light, within the point of light, there is light. There is a light source a place of generation of intense light. And when you find that place of generation, there you have this <coughs> light within the light that makes your light bearer. So the bundle of light is your general mind, your thought streams that, that you carry around with you, like a light bulb around your head. It can be a 15-watt bulb all the way to a 2,000 watt bulb depending on the way you think when you let go of the types of fuel you put into this 15 watt bulb and you start to think 2,000 watts so what type of fuel are you going to bring in to produce that type of incandescence that is the antikrana the bridge building to the highest domain. So remember I told you the 147 link. So on the seventh domain, you look up and you say, oh look, there's a one up there. A monad that destroys everything that I think is me. My mind shall explode. <laughs> explode into cosmic bliss. Explode into total fireball of a sun. Nuclear explosion, oh yes, I'm going to bring that into consciousness, that nuclear bomb. That's going to be me as I walk around. So this is um, what you're looking for at the seventh level of the fourth ray going up. You're going to bring that light into consciousness. And you become the light of the world, hopefully, sometime. And the whole world will bow before the brilliance of your light because you've so much to give. You've gone nowhere. All you've done is gotten rid of the baggage load or the baggage train of your mind, of all those attachments. And just simply let what really is there to be, to shine out the light within the light. Can you achieve that? Is it possible? We know it is. We're giving you the teachings. You're here to generate it. You are light bearers, after all. First, the lesser forms of light to those that only can bear that or receive that, and then later on, great intense luminosity. Think of your head just simply exploding into all of cosmos. The sixth sub-ray of the fourth ray on the path of ascent is called the corrector of the form. Mm. This is sad for most of you because when this light comes into expression and as you aspire upwards to bring light or inspire inwards 
because that which is within is also without, that which is above is also below. So you aspire inwards to reveal the light. It corrects the form, doesn't it? It um, disciplines the form. It tells the baggage train where to go. You start to throw some of those things away. You say, oh, I don't need this, this, this. And um, you start to go through all of that karma. You cleanse it all. It um, corrects the form. It collects your karma, in other words. It cleanses the dross. Technically, it's something like a washerwoman. I know we're not washerwomen anymore, but now there's a washing machine. And um, you just try it on the washing machine, press a button or two, and the way it goes, and it makes all that noise and clinks away, and eventually you just pull it out. But back in my mum's day, she used to have two tubs, and one tub was for rinsing and one tub was for scrubbing, and there was a scrubbing board with, with a soap. I don't remember, and if any of you remember a scrubbing board, I remember when I was young, I had to actually work on that thing and help scrub all that, those dirty clothes on it. And so you went from one to the next. And so there's rinse one, rinse two, rinse three, rinse four, and involving less and less scrubbing, and eventually you can hang it out in the washing. And this is what happens with you if this fourth ray energy comes through. Rinse one, rinse two, rinse three, rinse four, and it's all scrubbed away. <laughs> it's not that easy. It's not like pressing a button. <laughs> Modern technology doesn't really work. So most of you are aware of the scrubbing process and you don't <coughs> like it. You don't like having to cleanse your emotions. Just think of all the dirty emotions you have, all the grime and muck of your attachments and affiliations to things that just are what in the Bible is called corruptible forms. So scrub away, scrub away. Use this forefray energy, this beautiful energy from the heart, the golden energy from the heart, the silver white, and get rid of the muddied, dirty, nappy muck until the aura that you have, the, the substance, the sheaths that you're incarnating with is radiant and bright, vibrant, full of energy and light. Everything is light. Every atom is just a nuclear furnace. And then you have transmuted substance, transconsubstantiated substance. <laughs> That's the word. Um, you've integrated the Christ light with the light of your mind or of your bodies. And you can perform miracles then. Even I can't do that yet. But we all can, we all have the ability. And the fourth ray gives you the ability to perform miracles. Yes, once the form has been corrected. So you can see the wonder of the sixth ray, isn't it? When the sixth ray is properly applied, it corrects the form. It scrubs the dirty nappies, I mean the linen, the, the clothing, or whatever else that's around that you've got, and makes all those muddy colours very bright. So think white light, think golden light, and have it all the time radiating from you. No greys, no drosses. Tell the DB to go away. It's easy, and there's no grey there. They can't affect you, can they? <coughs> The fifth sub-ray of the fourth ray, now you've been correcting the form, you've scrubbed away, you've rinsed it again and again with clean light until there's almost nothing left to do. And then it's called the one who marks the parting way. 
the parting way. Oh, isn't that a wonderful concept? This, this is samsara, and this is where you're busy scrubbing and sort of being miserable while you're doing it because you don't like all this work. However, when you get to the domain of the mind and you no longer have these emotions and you're looking down upon the form and you see the illusionality of it all, you say, I don't really care for samsara. There's cosmos out there and it's a far vaster place than this. It's liberating, invigorating all the rest of it. And so you look through the Nadi system as to where you're going and you make a conscious decision. Never again will you be attached to samsara. It may be a field of service, but certainly not a place of residence. Certainly not a place where you want to spend your lives anymore attached to. You come down as an avatar maybe, as a, as a bodhisattva, but you're not anymore a human unit as such. You've gone away from there. So you part the way away from astralism and mental emotional thinking and you live in the domain of the nexus between shunyata and samsara. Neither one nor the other, just both, happily residing there in consciousness bliss. Beautiful place to be, isn't it? We've gone from the light within the light and then that light corrects the form and then the one who marks the parting of the way. You can see again the fourth ray doesn't move from its domain, does it? It stays there. Everything else is moving around it, but it stays. So you're getting a better idea what this beautifying harmony in the midst of conflict or the energy that produces beautifying harmony in the midst of all of this samsara is all about. It just simply is the energy that is what you are. It harmonizes everything into unity, into beauty, into joy. We now go to the fourth subray of the fourth ray as we go up. And DK has got a very quick statement here. He simply calls it the master. Because once you've parted the way and you've done all the scrubbing and there's nothing left to scrub, what is there left of you? <laughs> Whatever you regard as you, it's mastered samsara. It simply is where it should be, in the domain of life. Enlightened, free, liberated, the master. And so that's the place to be, isn't it? The void. Pure energy. But we move on from there, because after having mastered, you're still moving somewhere, going somewhere. And where you're going to, it's the third sub-ray of this particular ray is called the Dweller in the Holy Place. The Holy Place should actually be quite evident by, to all of you what that actually means. It simply is the heart. That's the Holy Place, isn't it? Or the heart in the head? There's no holier place than that, that I can think of. And you're the dweller there. You're the form that lives within that space. Think of the ambrosia of the heart, uh, the nectar of immortality. And think of the spaciousness of all that is, that is your consciousness, all integrated into oneness. That's where the fourth ray dwells. But it's still form. It's a mind that dwells within the heart. And that's the third sub-ray of the fourth ray. 
going upwards. And within the holy place, the master then works to organise space, organise form, as we understand it, organise samsara, to fix up or help scrub some of those that are still busy understanding they need to scrub. The place of descent for bodhisattvas. Now, the second sub-ray of the fourth ray, on the path of ascent, now, on the path of descent, it was called the link between the three and the three. And this particular path of ascent, it's called the lower than the three, the highest of the four. What does he mean here? The three is the three points of the triad. Atmabudimanas is the, the three, but in this particular case it's not lower than that. It's actually the three higher planes of Adi, Anipadaka and Atma, or the three spheres of activity of the monad itself. The highest of the four, we're looking from above upwards, and therefore you've got the three planes of perception that you're all familiar with, the mental, the astral and the physical, and the highest is the cosmic ether, the fourth cosmic ether. So basically it's saying that you reside in this middle between all extremes. And there is a state of absolute quiescence that manifests where the whole universe sups in this particular energy field. What we're looking at when we're looking at the fourth cosmic ether is that it is the etheric body of cosmic logi. And there exists all their chakras, the chakra system. So at this particular plane, you imbue the nadis, the chakras, the flowers, the energy fields of all other cosmic beings. So really you don't need to go further than that to understand, to comprehend what the universe is all about, where it's going to, its composition, constitution. So this is the second sub-ray of the fourth ray going up. And the highest of the sub-rays going up, and this particular sub-ray relates also to the plane and the padaka. We are sort of residing there now where the monad itself is. And it's got something to do with monadic evolution as well. The highest is the first sub-ray is called the trumpet of the Lord. The concept of trumpet is very, very important. I actually give a little diagram in my way to Shambhala of space-time continuum. And it's actually sort of um, taken from an earlier book, which is Causation. And the space-time continuum is in the form of spiral cyclic energy of that works in a phi spiral. And as it spirals outwards, you go from a point and you're spiraling to produce a larger and larger amount of space. Now, when you look at this spiral from a point to becoming larger and larger amount of space, 
that is encompassing or that is expanding to, it's a trumpet. And it conveys sound. So the first sub-ray of the fourth ray is that which blows this trumpet that organizes space in terms of nadis and chakras and forms and according to that then the whole mandala of being, non-being comes into existence. So the entire nadi system and its organization in the way it is constructed not just for a human unit but for a cosmic man, a grand heavenly man is implied here. And this uh, fourth ray, or the first sub-ray of the fourth ray, is one who can blow that trumpet. And the second um, sub-ray is the lower than the three, the highest of the four, does relate to monadic life. The third sub-ray, the dweller in the holy place, does also relate to the, to the soul itself. Now we're going in terms of these types of forms for an encapsulation of what the fourth ray is really about. Then the fourth sub-ray is the master. In other words, one who has gained enlightenment. Liberated mind. The mind no longer is, actually. And then we're going down again. I'm just quickly summarizing then. The fifth sub-ray is the one who marks the parting way. Here we're going with the battle of the mind and substance until eventually you say I no longer want this it's soul life, monadic life and cosmic life that you're aspiring to and then the sixth subray going down is the correct of the form which is where most of the battle of the disciples the dual life of the disciple is all about they're busy correcting their forms battling with their desire bodies and so forth and then we're going and the seventh going down again is the light within the light in other words the hidden light veiled by the light of your mind and so there we have the story of the fourth ray I'm glad you'll like it it's a bit difficult to understand. That's not so difficult, is it not? It doesn't move much. Anyway, really, it stays. And all you have to do is reveal it as you overcome your attachments to samsara, to materialism. It's the hidden bushel, I think sometimes it's called something like that. It's that which is veiled by the substance in which you have been connected. Anyway, you can see why it's the ray that governs humanity because our minds, our forms, our lives have all encapsulated substance around this fourth ray and humanity being the fourth kingdom Okay, so there you have it, the fourth ray I hope you've learned something from it it's not just what you read in the book and of course when you read esoteric psychology then you'll get all of the more psychological things associated with it such as the artist the artisan the one that works to as we said bringing harmony in the midst of strife to produce harmonies interrelationship amongst people the one that organizes uh, groups to to produce well, charitable effects or whatever that service work is. It's often seen as the, the ray of the painter. So you see that you can look at the effects of the fourth ray 
upon the personality and the way a personality works upon it. And here we're looking at the effect of the fourth ray as it produces liberation from the point of view of, of the domain of enlightened beings. And the two are quite important to integrate into one package. So in my explanations I try to get you away from just thinking of the usual form. You can read about that in the book. Okay. Any questions? Yeah, could, could you say a few words about the master fourth ray which is a piece? Fourth ray, master fourth ray, surface. Well, he was an English gentleman in his last life, if that means anything to you. Imagine that. I'm not too sure which way you want to, we, we want to look at um, sort of um, incarnations or according to DK he's entered the, the Diva Kingdom because he's working with the Divas and uh, why is that? Because this particular ray line is directly an aspect of the Diva Kingdom there, there's a particular function of the fourth ray that merges or harmonizes the Diva and the Human Kingdom into a unity into unified purpose and we'd gone that um, on the third ray here sub ray on our way down the divine, in, the divine intermediary that mediates between all these kingdoms to bring them all into a unity it produces a type of, of fusion in um, Buddhism one of his former incarnations was Tisha he brought a specific form of Buddhism, which we call the Kadampa, to Tibet, the precursor of the Galuk monastic system. So it's not that easy to <coughs> to properly talk about the master of the fourth ray. Uh, I often look at him also as Saint John the Divine, but the, these incarnations just give an indication of the type of service work. One of the incarnations which is very important in Christian religion is St. Francis of Assisi. If you study the life of St. Francis, then you'll get an idea within the Western tradition of the way that the fourth ray works. And if you interrelate it with teaching here, the correct of the form, and I'm talking about scrubbing, and um, he went and corrected the form of his religion at that time, um, even walked naked, uh, threw away all his father's um, beautiful cloths, and said, I don't want any of this, um, this is materialism, and walked bare feet in the snow, and all the rest of it, this correcting of the form, because he was really manifesting a sub-ray version of the fourth ray in that life, uh, for the Christian religion. So one of these days somebody will be able to do this type of um, biography of, of some of the lives of the masters and see the types of sub-ray qualities of their pure ray that they're working through in any incarnation, when they understand those incarnations. But that's a good um, particular life to, to study for him. The the fourth ray, the ray of harmony, beauty, and art. So we could see art more in relation to the soul than in relation to artistic realization. Well, yeah, the artistic realization comes through because it produces beautifying harmony, and so the purpose of the art of art really is to do that. 
all of the ray lines can be ray lines of of artists. For instance, abstract art is not necessarily direct; it's more like a, an expression of the fifth ray. And so, and cubism is another form of expression of the fifth ray. So we can look at the various different types of art um, in relationship to the other rays. But the beautifying harmony aspect is the fourth ray. And um, for instance, the the Gothic um, cathedral builders that you see a fourth and seventh ray subray um, manifestation, those two rays, and sometimes some third ray to do with the geometry and things like that. So art comes from this concept of beauty, and it can be flower arrangement, just a aesthetic lifestyle that comes through it, like the person is quite manifest in, in aesthetic or pleasing clothing, or they like to have a nice, neat, ordered room or place of domicile and things like that and um, they're often working with uh, producing philanthropic work for instance that uh, help integrate disharmonious or unruly people into much more conducive <coughs> lifestyles within society which they're part of but it's also the ray in many ways coupled with the first ray of the bodhisattva of that ability to renounce the self in order to serve the other, help them gain liberation. Yeah, Raphael, and you can see that his form of the beauty of the the very lovely Madonnas that that he painted is he was you know his graceful, um, serene art style. Whereas if you compare him to say um, Leonardo da Vinci, who was you know, equally a good artist, but you can see in Leonardo he was much more mind. He, you know, his Churrasco that he painted, there was, you know, it was much more um, worked, um, ordered, um, logical sequence. Whereas with um, with Raphael, it's pure aesthetics. The the color balance harmony of of all the compositions are is you know, quite well seen. Leonardo da Vinci is an incarnation of the European Kohan, which is, also, is on the second ray, an advanced version of the second ray. So it's good to compare the two.